Well, we are in uh, the book of uh, James, as uh, we all know. And uh, today, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about temptation. And where it stems from. Where is it that, what is it that we should do when we are faced with temptation? I think that most all of us, right, we are all faced with temptation. And sometimes we have a tendency to blame God. Sometimes we have a tendency to blame the devil. And sometimes, and many times I should say, we neglect. We neglect to accept full responsibility because we have given birth to it. We have given birth to it in our lives. And with that, I want to begin in verse 12 in, the, in James chapter 1. And in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed. You know, when we think of the word blessed, right, we tell people, bless you, God bless you, bless this, bless that, and you know what, when we think about it, what does the word actually mean? You know, when we think about being blessed, what does that mean? It means having divine favor, right? This is divine favor that we have received from God. It also means that we are the recipient of joy. We are the recipient of, of, of happiness. And as we read there, it says that, you know what, a blessed state, it comes from something, right? Blessed is a man who endures temptation. When you endure, in other words, when you persevere, there's something that comes with that. And what we talked about right now is divine favor. We've also talked about having a joy, right? We know that divine favor and joy comes to those who endure. And what is it that we are enduring? As the Word of God says, they're enduring temptation. You know, when we look at this word here, it's not the, you know, the, the act of alluring you to entice you to do evil. The proper word or translation of this word here is actually a trial. See, the word actually connects, or this verse actually connects with last week's message, which was on trials, right? And when we look at trials, we think to ourselves, you know, trials bring hardship, don't they? Trials bring sadness, they bring discomfort, they bring turmoil within our lives. But we know that these trials are brought in, as we talked about last week, to test our faith. So that we can grow and mature and be perfect. And that's why the Word of God says that we are to call it joy. And we know that we grow from these things. We are to allow them to... To, to do their perfect work within our lives. And we are to grow from them, right? We are to learn from these things. We are to ask God for wisdom. But as we talked about enduring, meaning persevering, and what we're talking about here is abandoning your faith. What he's saying and what James is telling them, you know what? When you continue to keep going, when you don't quit, when you don't abandon your faith, there is something that happens. And the word says that we are rewarded. We receive the crown of life. You know, as we talk about trials, and this is what we're talking about now. We're going to get into temptation in a, in a second. 
But as we're going through the verse, it's important that we understand what God is trying to teach us today through this verse. Trials will test you. We know that. It tests us as to where is our walk, where is our faith, where is our trust, right? It reveals to us, not to God, because He knows it. But He's revealing it to us. He's showing us where we're at. And the reason we have these is because He wants to approve you. And what does that mean? See, it means that, you know what? For when He has been approved, what is He trying to say there? That means that you've passed the test. When you've gone through your trials, there's something that is happening. You are, first of all, there's first of all a testing, right? A testing of your faith. And then, if you pass, there is an approving, right? It tells us that, that, that you know what? That He approves you. In other words, you pass the test. And after you pass the test, it says that you receive. And what is it that you receive? We receive rewards. And what is it? What is it that we receive? See, when we, th- when we talk about trials, we know two things. Either the trial, as we've been reading, is going to approve, it's going to reward, or it will destroy. See, because many people that are faced with trials, right, when you're faced with a trial, either you're just going to say, you know what, Lord, I give up this faith. You're going to say, you know what, Lord, you know what, this is too much for me. And you either become bitter or angry and you just say, you know what, I'm giving this up. And you decide to choose sin. Right? You decide to walk away from the Lord. So, in other words, you're walking back to sin. And I want to give you an example regarding trials and regarding what can happen when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. When it comes to the Word of God. See... In Matthew chapter 23, there is a parable that Jesus gives us. And this parable is called the parable of the sower. And we know that there is a sower who goes out to sow seeds. And what is the seed that he is sowing? The seed is the word of God. And so as he goes out, as he's sowing the seed, right? Some of the seed falls by the wayside. And the word of God tells us that birds come and they devour it. And what is it that that means? As Jesus goes on a few verses later to explain the parable because the disciples are saying, you know what, what do all these things mean? Why do you speak to us in parables? And the Lord says, you know what, let me explain to you what I mean. He says, you know what, regarding the parable of the sower, he says that when the seed of God falls by the wayside and the birds come and devour it, that means... That this is people who hear the word, who hear the word of God, and they don't understand it. And so the evil one, Satan himself, comes and he snatches the seeds of the word that they heard. And so he gives another example of the sower that throws out seed and some falls among thorns and they are choked. And he goes on to explain These are people that hear the word, but the world, the cares of the world, and the riches choke up the word. In other words, you know what? They go after the world. They go after riches, and they say, you know what? I heard it, but you know what? 
I still want the world. I love the world. I want the riches of the world. And then he talks about another example, another group of people. And he talks about these. He says, you know what? There are seeds that fall in stony places. And there's no dirt and there's no soil there. So what happens when it begins to sprout, right? That as the seeds begin to sprout and they begin to grow, that all of a sudden the sun comes out and it burns it because it has no soil. It has nothing to grab onto. The roots could not grab onto anything. And he goes on to explain these are people who hear the word, right? And they're walking with the Lord. And all of a sudden, they're faced with tribulation. All of a sudden, they're faced with trials. And they say, you know what? I give up. I can't do it. And this is what we're talking about today. This is what the Lord has, uh, wants to reveal to us now regarding what he shared with us last week and what he's sharing with us through this verse. But then he goes on to mention one other group of people. And the other group of people, he re- he, he shares with us that it is like those seeds that fall on solid ground. And what happens there is that they begin to bear great and abundant fruit. And see, these are those that heard the word. These are those that receive the word and they say, you know what? I want the word. I don't want the world. I don't want the riches. And those that said, you know what? I'm going to endure tribulation. I'm going to endure persecution. None of that is going to hold me back. Because I found God or he found me and I surrendered myself to him. And see, and these are those that are approved. These are those that he is talking about here. Blessed is a man who endures trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. Those, the one that has been approved, the one that has passed the test. What is the reward that they receive? You know what, as they keep going, right, as they don't give up, they receive a reward. You know what the reward is? The reward, first of all, as we talked about last week, right, it is maturity. See, as we went over Romans 5, verse 3, right, it talks about how we glory in tribulation. Why do we glory in tribulation? What is so glorious about being in a trial? Because of what it produces. See, it moves us to persevere, to keep going, not to give up. And what it also does, it begins to build character in us. Our lives are transformed as we continue to remain faithful to the Lord, allowing His trials to do their perfect work within our lives. And it gives us hope in Him, right? Because our hope in Him will never disappoint us. And then also, as it mentions here, We also receive the crown of life, right? The crown of life, what we're talking about is that transformation, but it is also the crown of life that we receive in the Lord's appearing. When we see the Lord face to face, we're going to have that crown of life. See the test, as we've been talking about. To understand this with further clarity, I want to give you some illustrations of this. See, we know that tests approve us, right? And let me talk about this to give you a greater understanding. You know, for a doctor, whenever he takes his medical exam, it approves him, right, in order to be able to practice medicine. What about the attorney that takes the bar? 
the bar exam, right? It approves him that he knows what he's doing and he can practice law. Same thing with real estate people, right? It approves them that they know the laws when it comes to real estate and they could sell homes and, buy, and, and do whatever needs to be done with real estate. See, these are the benefits. See, the test approves you to practice it and then the reward is the benefits that you get when you practice it. See, for the Christian, I want us to know one thing. Trials don't save you, right? But the trials, as we see here, they will approve you and they will reward you if you endure, if you remain faithful. See, God uses tests. Understand this. He uses trials, these tests, to build you up. What does Satan use trials and tests for? To tear you down, doesn't he? He uses trials to destroy you. And you know what? I want to give you a biblical example of this. Do you remember Job? I think many of us know the story of Job, right? Job had the Lord's protection, the Lord's hedge around him. And we know that he was a man of God, a man that loved God and honored God. And we know that he had the blessings of God. And so what happens in Job's life is that the devil goes as he has access to heaven, right? He goes to God and says, you know what? There's this man that you've protected. And the only reason he blesses you is because you do that. Because you protect them. You put a hedge around them. And so the Lord allows Job to go through these trials. These intense trials where he loses everything but his wife. He loses his material possessions. He loses his family. He does not contain or retain anything except his wife and his body, his, himself. And so, you know what? As the Lord allowed us, right? He wanted Job to see where he was when it came to his faith in the Lord. And so, the devil used these trials, right? The devil says, let me add him, Lord. I want to get Job. And we'll see if he still praises you. And so what happens here is that, you know what? The Lord allows him to go after Job. And so what Satan does is he takes away all his possessions, his children, all his belongings, everything that he has. And then the devil says, well, now let me attack his health. And so the Lord allows the devil to attack his health. But the sole purpose that the devil had is revealed in Job chapter 2, verse 3. And I'm going to tell you this real quick, what it says. In Job chapter 2, verse 3, it says here, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Do you see what Satan's purpose is when it comes to tests, to trials? God allows him to do it, but his purpose is to destroy us. And God's purpose is to build us up. See, there's two different things here. 
And it's important that we understand this concept because if we understand this concept, it's going to help us to persevere in trials, to endure them. And then, of course, we're approved and we receive the reward. And what's so awesome about this is that God says, the reward is promised to those that love me. He says he has promised the reward to those who love me. See, one thing about the Lord is when he gives a promise, he fulfills it. The Lord is faithful with his promises. And that's why we love reading God's word because it encourages us. And we know that as we hear God's word, we hear his promises. And you know what? These promises move us to remain faithful to him, to do the things that he has promise because we believe in him because he loves us and we know that he has an everlasting love for you and this is revealed in Romans 8 that he has an everlasting love for you but one thing that I want to talk about here the motivation of our love for him see when you love somebody do you want to hurt them no your spouse your children You know what? You endure so much for them, don't you? Even when they hurt you, you still love them, right? Your love doesn't fail. See, the motivation of our endurance is based on love. See, it is based on love for God. If you truly love God, you're going to endure these things that life gives you, right? You're going to endure all these hardships, all these pains, all the turmoil, because God loves you, and you love Him. And this is what is built on a relationship of love, endurance, because you know that love, your love for Him never fails, His love for you never fails, and it continues to move on. As we move on in verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We are moving now from trials to temptation. Okay, this is the split here. Okay, I want you to understand now. Now we are going to be talking about temptations. And why is it that James moves from trials to temptation? Why is it that he moves the way he does here? See, because trials can work against us, right? Trials can upset you. See, trials have a tendency to be to get us angry and upset at God because it brings us discomfort and because it upsets us and it makes us bitter. And so what do we do as a people? We seek to satisfy ourselves by other means. And so what you're going to satisfy yourself, a possibility, by, it could be by the enticement of evil. To do something that is contrary to the Lord. To go out and sin. And so this is why James puts this verse or, or this teaching here. Because he wants to remind us, don't let the trials frustrate you. That it will move you to go out and sin. Because it's important that you understand that it will do that if you allow it to. And the first thing that James tells us here, he says, you know what? Don't blame God for temptation. 
You know what? There's so many people, and I've heard this before. God tempted me. Have you heard that before? God tempted me to do this. He did it. It wasn't me. It was him that put it before me. James wants to clarify this. Because God's word is living. We know that people have these thoughts today. They are misguided thoughts. They are lies of the devil that he puts in their minds. See, God, first of all, is holy and he is righteous. And we know that temptation, as I mentioned earlier, it is the act of enticing somebody to do evil, right? That is what temptation is. It's enticing you, alluring you to do evil. And one thing that we know is there is no evil in God. And because there is no evil in God, He can never tempt you to do it. Does that make sense to you? If there's no evil in Him, how can He tempt you to do something that's not in Him? And this is what God is trying, or this is what James is explaining to us. This is against His nature, and He can't do something that is contrary to His nature. Understand this. God will test, but God will not tempt. Understand that. This is something that if we can understand, then we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine in understanding who God is and what He does. And I'm going to give you an example of this. You know what? There's people that are hungry today, right? And sometimes they pass by an outdoor restaurant or sometimes they pass by a place that has some sort of fruit or fruit that's, that's outside where someone can grab it or, or, or take it. And they've been praying, Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I need food. Lord, can you, you know, provide something to me so that I can eat it? And so as they're walking, right, and they see this food that's right before them, they're like, wow, Lord, you answered my prayer. And so what do they do? They go out and they grab the food and they eat it without paying for it. And they said, Lord, you gave it to me. I prayed for it and it's there. Do you see what enticed him? First of all, it was his evil nature, right? Because God wouldn't tell him to steal. God wouldn't tell us to take what doesn't belong to us. He didn't pay for it. He stole it. See, and this is where temptation comes from. It comes from within. And sometimes, well, we know this. I shouldn't say sometimes because we know that the devil tempts us many times, right? We know that he puts things before us on a daily basis. But we do know one thing. That sometimes we blame the temptation that we have always on him. And this is what James is going to show us today. James is going to show us today, you know what? It's not always the devil. It's not always the devil that's... That's tempting you. We tend, we tend to blame Him for everything. And we don't like to accept responsibility for our evil nature. And this is what James wants to share with us. He doesn't want us to give credit to the devil all the time. He wants to remind us that we have evil desires within us. And that's what he talks about in verse 14. He says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. There are desires that we have. And what are these? These are lustful and evil cravings, right? There is an inner desire. It is called the flesh. This inner desire called sin, right? The sin of the flesh. 
it wants to satisfy itself. And these are the cravings that it has. And if you yield yourself to your flesh, then you're going to follow what it wants, right? You're going to do what it wants. And I think there's always a battle between our flesh and the spirit, and we know that. But what happens is that the flesh, as you begin to yield to its cravings, it entices you. And what the word enticement means, it catches you. You've been caught. You've been caught on that hook. And you've fallen. See, how many of us, we have this every day, right? We know things are bad. And yet, we think about these things. We look at these things. We meditate on these things sometimes. And we're telling ourselves, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Right? You're telling yourself, and, and when you see it, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to go there. But yet, you think about it, and your thoughts keep meditating on it. And you know what's bringing these thoughts to your mind? Your evil desires. This is what's going on. This is what is happening, the lust of the flesh. It's drawing you closer to entice you, to catch you, to do it. And then one day, you just decide to do what? You do it. And this is what happens. See, we have these examples, and this has happened to many people in their walk. They hang out with bad company, right? They hang out with people that love to drink, or they have, hang out with people that love to do alcohol. And they once did it themselves. And yet they say to themselves, you know what, I just hang out with them because I love my buddies. I can't give them up, right? You know what's luring you over there? Your evil nature. Your desires that are within you. This is what's moving you over there. And you got to pay attention to this. Because if you don't, you're going to fall. How many of us have hung out with those that love to drink or do drugs? And you've been hanging out with them even though now you're a Christian. And you say to yourself, you know what? I do it because I love my buddies. I miss my buddies. Understand, your desire, your evil nature is pulling you over there. And then what happens after a while when you're with them? They always offer you, come on, have a drink. Oh, no, you know what? I'm a Christian now. I don't do that stuff. Come on, just take a pot. Just take a, take a smoke here. You know what? The pot's not going to hurt you. It's medically good for you now. And then you start, no, 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 what? I'm a Christian now. I can't do that stuff. And guess what happens? You know what? As you hang out with them and you're tempted by your evil nature, one day you just say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. It's not bad. You know, what's one beer? You know, it's not going to hurt me. The Lord says, you know what? Drunkards don't inherit the kingdom of God. Not having one beer. But then you see yourself doing more and more and more. And what lured you over there? Your sinful nature, your evil desires. It's the same thing with pornography, right? What, right now, everybody's on the internet, right? You know that, I mean, I think everybody here, or most everyone here, somehow has access to the internet, whether you have a computer at home or at work or somewhere. You have access to the internet. And when you're on the internet, you always see these pop-ups coming up, right? Or you look to your right and you see this girl there, or you see this guy there, and they're nice and good-looking, 
and they're luring you. And you see it and you don't pay attention to it. And then you see your eyes going to the right or to the left. And then you bring them back to the center. And then you don't do it and then all of a sudden they come up again. And what is happening there? See, what's going on there is that your evil nature is, is it, it's just moving you to desire these things. And it's going to entice you. And this is what happens to many, right? All of a sudden, they say, oh, oh, I clicked it by mistake. And all of a sudden, you have these things coming out. And you're like, oh, no, no, I can't see. And you're closing one eye and the other one. And you're trying to push the wrong button, right? And you're still looking at it. See, this is your evil nature. This is what takes over. And you can't be blaming the devil because you wanted to see it. You wanted to do it. And sometimes we give the devil way too much credit because he's not doing this. It is you and your evil nature. If we keep reading in verse 15, it says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. See, there is a birth process with this, and James as I shared with you when we first started, just the imagery, the, the description that he gives us, just gives us a perfect picture of what goes on. As we look at this, right, he describes sin like a birth process. The desire is, con- uh, is conceived when your flesh is fed. See, it started with a desire and when you yielded to it, it became sin. You are hooked and trapped entangled in sin, practicing sin, and you can't stop it. And what happens to those that practice sin? I want to read to you. And it's in Galatians 5, verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is pharmakia, it is a form of, it is the drugs, taking drugs, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, if you're doing these things, You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And what we're talking about is practicing. If this is becoming your lifestyle, you're fooling yourself and you're not going to heaven. See, there is a war that goes on within us. We know that we have a battle with Satan. He's trying to destroy us. But there is also a war that is going on within you. And that is between the spirit and your flesh. Who is going to take control? Who is going to win? The flesh, your flesh is saying, I want to conquer. I want to win. And the Spirit of God is saying, let me, let me rule in your life. Let me do it. And so what happens is there's a battle between the two. And see, and this is what happens for us, to us, I should say. See, when we're not feeding the Spirit, Guess who you're feeding? You're feeding your flesh, the cravings of your flesh. And you may say, well, how do I feed the Spirit? How is it that I can be stronger in the Lord? There are several ways to do that. 
Do you know how one is? Prayer. Are you praying? If you are praying, there is just an amazing strength that you get when you pray. Because you're one with God. You're, you're communicating with God, right? You're right in His presence. As you talk to Him, He's hearing you. He's listening. And another way to do it is when you're reading the Word. You're feeding the Spirit. When you're reading the Word, God is talking to you. God is strengthening you. God is transforming you. God is just doing a great work through His Word because it is alive. And you are listening to the voice of God as He speaks to you. And you know another form to feed the Spirit is what you're doing here today. Coming to fellowship. Coming to church. Being with a group of believers here so that we can be strengthened together. Encouraging one another. See, these are the ways that we become stronger in the Lord. If we're not doing these things, guess what, what happens? We begin to feed what? The flesh. Right? If you aren't feeding the Spirit, you're feeding one. one. You know, I love the story about that Billy Graham gave, right? About those two dogs. He says, you know what? There was a, a fisherman who had these two dogs and he would allow them to, uh, to, uh, to fight one another. And he would allow, he would take uh, 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 wages or, or what do you call it? He would take bets. There you go. I couldn't, hear, I couldn't think of that word. He would take bets, right? And he would always win, right? And, and he knew that, you know what? There was one that was ferocious. And he knew the one that would always win. So he always walked away as a winner. And, and, pe- and they went up to him after to find out, well, how is it that you are always winning? When you leave, you, you take the money from everyone. He says, because I know who's going to win. It's the one that I feed. That's the one that's going to win. Who are you feeding? Are you feeding the spirit or are you feeding the flesh? The flesh will win if you're not feeding the spirit by doing the things that I've been talking about. See, and this is what we got to remain. This is what we got to do. This is where our minds need to be heavenly minded. And no one thing that this thing doesn't happen overnight, right? See, when it comes to our walk, as he talks about here, James, as he talks about it in, in verse 15, he talks about a process here. And usually this process doesn't happen overnight. It is called the slow fade. And what I mean by that is you begin to slowly fade away from the Lord. Right? When you start saying, oh, you know what? I prayed yesterday or I prayed the day before or I read God's word uh, two days ago and that sustains me. And then it goes on to a week and it goes on to two weeks and it goes on to a month. And all of a sudden, you know what? You're not reading. You're not praying. And you know what? And you say, you know what? Church, oh, it's too early. 9 a.m. is too early. You know what God understands? I'll turn on the TV and I'll watch TBN. This is what happens, right? And all of a sudden, you're slowly fading away. And guess what you begin to feed? Your flesh. And you know what it births? Sin. You see this all the time. You have this happening in churches every day. You stop seeing people at church and the next thing you know is you hear from them or you see them 
And guess what they're doing? They're in sin. This is what happens. And then verse 16, it goes on to say, Do not be deceived, my brethren. I'm sorry. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James is saying, don't be deceived. Be perfect. He's saying, you know what? I want you to be mature in understanding. He says, stop blaming God for your conduct. He says, stop blaming the devil for your conduct. He says, accept responsibility. And when we accept responsibility, we confess our sins to God. As a reminder, we talked about this last night. In order for you to be healed, in order for you to begin walking in steps that are right with God, you need to accept that you're a sinner. You need to accept responsibility. You need to ask Him for forgiveness. And He'll do that. I want to give you a biblical example of this. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve? Who did Adam blame? Adam said, you know what? Eve made me sin, right? You know what? When God came to him and he says, you know what? Lord, it was, it was the wife you gave me. And then what did Eve say? God, God, Lord, it was a devil that did it. See, we don't like to accept responsibility, do we? See, even though the devil deceived Eve, she still had a desire. And what was her desire? Her desire was to be wise and to be like God. Her desire was to know what he knows. That was an evil craving within her, right? See, this is called the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And the Lord says, I will have none of that in my kingdom. One thing that happens to us when we're being enticed is we tend to forget the consequences of sin. Right? Because you're so infatuated with the desires of your flesh that you forget to realize what the consequences are. And let me share this with you. When God spoke to Adam and Eve, He told them, and this is in Genesis 2.17, you don't need to turn there, that when they ate of the tree of good and evil, they would die. They forgot those words. But see, when they were there and they heard the fact that, you know what, that I could be wise and I could know what God knows and, you know what, I could be like Him, they forgot to look at the consequences. See, what happens to us is that if we keep our eyes on the bait, we're going to get hooked. It is God's desire that we would not keep our eyes on that bait. It is God's desire that we would keep our eyes on Him. See, because what happens to us, we are so enraptured by this bait that we forget its consequences. And the consequences that the Lord talks about is death. See, because we begin to practice these things. And we begin to do these things. See, as a people of God, what's so awesome about our Lord is He says, you know what? I know your flesh is so weak. He says, I know it. 
I know that you guys are weak and you guys are of the flesh and you're carnal and you want, and that flesh that you have wants to satisfy itself. So what he did is he says, when I leave, I'm going to give you a helper. And this helper, if you yield to him, will give you the power to overcome sin, its cravings. It will set you free. And so he gave us the spirit of God. He knows our weaknesses, but yet he gave us the power of God to be overcomers. Let's keep reading. It says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You know what? Gifts from God are good. And he is the greatest gift giver of all. And his gifts, as the word says, are perfect. And understand this, that Satan or the world or our flesh cannot give you what God gives you. If you understand this and you are heavenly minded, you will not yield to the world, to Satan or to your flesh. See, because if you begin to doubt this, if you begin to doubt and not have the perspective of what God gives you is perfect and good, then you will do what the world, Satan, or your flesh is asking you to do. See, what God gives us, we don't see. Not everything. We do see one thing. But I want to give you just a list of the things that you receive. One is fellowship with God. Restoration, redemption by God. Forgiveness and mercy, love and grace. You receive spiritual gifts, you have eternity. You have provision, protection. You have wisdom, maturity. You have strength. We have a transformed life. And the list goes on and on. You'll never die. You won't die. Imagine this, that you're not going to experience pain, suffering, Sorrow, death anymore? You're going to rule in heaven above with God throughout eternity? A lot of these you can't see, but there are some that you see today. You see your life being transformed. And you say to yourself, how did this happen? Was it in my own strength or was it by the power of God as I yielded to him? See, he is the father of lights, as it says there. And he doesn't change, meaning that he is the same. It says there's no variation. Because he's the same. And it also says that there is no shadow of turning. In other words, you know when you move things, like even here, I mean, you look at the, at the floor, you look at yourself or next to you. If you move, you see the shadow moving. Did you know that in the presence of God there is no shadows? Even when he moves, there's never going to be a shadow. Isn't that amazing? That we're never going to see shadows again. All we're ever going to see is light. And this is what's so amazing. And verse 18 says, Of his own will he brought, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How did this all happen? How did this all start? You know what's so amazing about all of this is, you know what, the power of his word is what saves us. It is the power of his word that sets us free. It is the power of his word 
that gives life. And I want to read something to you. And it's here, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. See, when I came to the Lord, many of you know, and I've shared it with you in the past, that somebody was sharing the gospel with me. And I heard it. And then, you know what? I was still doubting it, right? I was just like, yeah, this, this is cool, but you know what? I don't need it right now. But then I saw his life being transformed by the word of God. And that's when I said, you know what? I want some of that, right? See, now my heart was ready. And when I went to church and I heard the preacher preach, I said, you know what? The word of God is so amazing because it knows my heart. It knows the intents of my heart. It was piercing me. And when I surrendered myself to the Lord, and I surrendered myself to the word, was my life radically transformed. And this is what happens. And this is what James is talking about. As as James mentions there, he mentions that, you know what, it was brought forth by the word of truth. And we know that the truth sets us free. You know what, when it came to the Jews, to give you an understanding what it means by the first fruits of his creatures. When it came to the Jews, they would, offer, they would always offer the first fruits to the Lord. They would gather them and they would say, Lord, these are yours. You get the best, you get the first. See, what happens, though, is that when it comes to us, the Lord doesn't get our very best. What happens is, when we are born, we're born of the flesh, right? You and I are born in our fleshly nature. We are born carnal. You know, I was just sharing with Nancy just yesterday. I said, man, I don't have to teach Selah to sin. Because that little girl knows how to sin. She knows how to disobey us, right? And I don't have to teach her that. She's just doing it by herself. See, that's that simple nature that we have. When it comes to the Lord accepting us, it is not until we are born again of the Spirit. And then we become the first fruit of His creatures. See, the Lord will reject the first that is born of the flesh, but He will always accept the second that is born of the Spirit. And this is the first fruits. I want to give you an illustration of this. As the first birth is the flesh, the second birth is of the Spirit. When it came to Cain and Abel, who was born first? Cain was. Cain was of the flesh. Abel was of the Spirit. When you have Isaac and Ishmael, who was born first? Ishmael was born first. Ishmael was of the flesh. Isaac was of the spirit. When you have Jacob and Esau, Esau was the first to be born of the flesh. And Jacob was the second to be born of the spirit. When you come in your carnal nature, when you, are, you come into this world, you are born of the flesh. And the Lord rejects that. When you surrender yourself to the Lord, You are born of the Spirit, and the Lord receives and accepts that. You are now the first fruits of His creatures. 
those that belong to him. And we're going to finish here. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does this mean? In other words, the Lord is saying, listen to my word. This is what he's talking about. Listen to me. Be slow to speak. Stop blaming God and stop blaming others for your sin. And he says, be slow to wrath. Don't be so angry. Don't be so upset at your situation. No one is to blame but you because of your sinful nature. Don't be upset with God. It is you that did it. We must come to a place of admitting, confessing, and He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This verse we talked about yesterday, there was a common theme in changed behavior. And you know what that common theme in changed behavior was? An admission and a confession of guilt. And then the changed behavior came. And this is what he's saying. Listen to my word. He's saying, you know what? I want you to, you know what? Stop talking. Stop arguing with me. You know what? I want you to just receive. And I'm going to read this to you. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When you say, you know what? I'm not a sinner. I'm not doing anything wrong. You know what? The truth isn't in you because you are. And verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise that God has given us. If you confess, He will cleanse you and He will transform you. This is what God does. And this is why He says, Hear my word. This is why He says, Stop arguing. Stop getting upset. And then we're going to close with this verse. In verse 21 it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What he's saying is put away. Lay aside all filth. Lay aside the abundance of evil. Humbly receive his word. Allowing it to take deep root within your hearts. Pray that your heart would be softened. Whenever you come to church, before you're here, before I begin to preach or teach you the word of God, I want you to be praying, Lord, soften my heart. Have me receive what you have for me today. You know what? God wants our hearts to be soiled and softened so that when, we, when he speaks, the word of God as a seed is thrown out, falls on fertile ground, and it begins to bear what? Great and abundant fruit. His word desires to take deep root within our hearts. Because if it does, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He begins to live out those things that are in his heart. And it is, as he says, his word saves your souls. Some people may think, is it the word of God that saves? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God, and the word became flesh. It is when you place your faith in Jesus Christ is when you are saved. And your life is radically transformed. 
when you yield to the Spirit and when you don't feed your flesh. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming the devil. Accept responsibility for your sinful nature and make yourself right with God. And with that, we will close. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for your teaching today, Lord. Just reminding us, Lord Jesus, that it's not always Satan that's tempting us, Lord. It is our sinful, evil nature, Lord Jesus, that seeks to do, that goes after the desires of sin and entices us to give birth to it, Lord. Lord, we know that we have this tendency and we don't like accepting responsibility, but you tell us in your word that we must do that and we must confess it. We can't be blaming the devil and we can't be blaming others. We can't blame our parents, friends, loved ones. We got to accept responsibility for our sin. And when we do, Lord Jesus, when we do it with a heartfelt confession, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to transform us, Lord, from ashes into beauty. For we become new creations, the first fruits of his creatures, of your creatures. Old things have passed away. All things become brand new. If there's anyone here that desires to make themselves right with the Lord, if there's anyone here that wants to commit or recommit your life to the Lord, you can do that now. You can just raise your hand and we can pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else that needs to make themselves right? Anyone else that is fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh? The enticement is there. Is there anyone else before we close? Amen. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Remember, the Lord cleanses. The Lord wants to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He wants to beautify you and make you more like him. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord Jesus, you saw these two hands that went up, Lord. Lord, strengthen them by your spirit as they raise their hands, Lord, to confess their sinful nature, Lord, asking you for forgiveness of their sins, Lord. We know that you will meet them where they're at. You will meet them where they're at, Lord. And you will give them your spirit, Lord, to overcome, Lord Jesus the desires of their flesh. And so, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your glorious work, your supernatural work that happens through confession, Lord. And we know that it is you that saves us, Lord. And we thank you for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.